You've got legal questions, and I've got answers for you on this episode of Legit Podcast Pro. Hi again, and welcome to Legit Podcast Pro, the go-to show for turning your podcast dreams into professional-grade reality. I'm your host, Gordon Firemark, the podcast lawyer. If you are looking to launch or grow or scale a podcast or a YouTube channel or any kind of media endeavor, really, you're in the right place. From legal insights to actionable strategies, we've got everything you need to make your to make you a legit podcast pro. And with my years of experience in entertainment law and helping podcasters and creators just like you, I'm here to decode the legalese, to cut through the noise and get down to what really matters, making your podcast success, letting you get your message out, become an influencer, achieve impact, and hopefully profit from it. So pay attention and get ready to go from podcaster to legit podcast pro. Let's just dive right in. And uh, this time we're doing a little bit, uh, something a little bit different. Uh, most of the time I have sort of a prepared script or, or topic that I want to talk about. And, and this time, uh, not so much. And, uh, I'm going to take some questions that I've received from various social media sources and just, uh, you know, give you the answers sort of off the cuff. That may mean uh, it's a little rough at times, but uh, we will see. We will see. So uh, I went on to Facebook and LinkedIn and I asked a few people, a few groups uh, in my Legit Podcast Pro group, which by the way, you're invited. Go on over to facebook.com and look for groups, Legit Podcast Pro, or better yet, go to legitpodcastpro.com and it'll give you the details about how to uh, become a member of the free Legit Podcast Pro Facebook group. But in that group, I said, hey, um, I'm. what's your burningest question? What's got you puzzled? What are you wondering about? And I got a bunch of good questions. I did that also in a couple of other forums. And uh, actually, the podcaster's support group was the one that I just got an avalanche of questions. So uh, we're going to take some of those questions right now. Uh, Dave in the Legit Podcast Pro uh, says, I'd like to operate day-to-day to either have a general idea of what I'm doing is uh, legal or an authority to lean on. That'll let me know. Thank you for the softball, Dave. Uh, I'm right here. I'm I'm going to be your resource for that. Please follow the show. Subscribe to Legit Podcast Pro if you haven't already. Uh, you can subscribe on Facebook or LinkedIn or, or YouTube or in your favorite podcast podcatcher uh, of choice. Um, and, uh, you're welcome to check out my book, the podcast law book, uh, com is where you will find the, the, uh, podcast blog and new media producers, legal survival guide, an ebook that I've wrote uh, a while back. And, uh, it shares a lot of valuable information too. The truth is it's not that hard to stay on the legal side of things as long as you're not using other people's stuff and talking trash about other people. And, uh, you're not, you know, endorsing brands without, you know, proper disclosures and those kinds of things. It's actually not that complex. Some of the biggest issues are, are things that we'll talk about in, in some of the other questions today. Uh, Bill asks, how can I work with other people to develop my podcast, bookers, producers, publicity, technical people, etc., without being in conflict with AB5? So uh, this tells me that Bill is located here in the state of California. Uh, AB five is a law that went into effect on January 1st, 2020, that made it much harder to classify a person as an independent contractor 
when they're working in California. Now, the fact of it is lots of these kinds of folks, these freelance editors and producers and writers and folks like that, they probably do fit within one or the other exceptions. They're a little bit tricky. And what AB5 does, it requires you to do this sort of deep dive analysis into a three-part test called the ABC test. A little too complicated to go into here, but if, if you're if you're looking to hire people in California, if you're located in California, you do need to be thinking about this. The good news is people who are in the business of editing a podcast, for example, and you're not in the business of editing a podcast, they're rendering a service to you. And if they've got a company, an LLC or something like that, you're probably going to be okay. But more importantly, Bill says, at this early stage, I can't afford to directly hire people as employees. And I'm afraid that EDD would go after me for misclassification which would bankrupt me. Well, yes, uh, an EDD action would be pretty problematic for you, Bill, I have to say. Uh, right now, they've got big fish to fry. They're going after the big companies, big bigger companies and folks that are employing lots and lots of people and treating them as independent contractors as a way of ducking out on the obligation to pay taxes. That I don't think is, is I mean, yes, you're right to be concerned about it. Um, hire people who are freelancers and in that you know, business. If you're looking for just somebody to be your assistant and go run errands, that's more likely to be uh, a problem. But somebody who's in, who has a trade like editing podcasts or, or uh, doing technical work and stuff like that, or publicists, those are, those are bona fide occupations that they hold in their independent businesses. So you should be okay. Diane has an interesting question. She said, um, if I have someone on my show in a reoccurring role, who does, in this case, she said, a, P a Peter Falk Columbo kind of impression, and they call him on the show Detective Columbo, would that be a copyright problem? And the answer to that question is, well, the character of Columbo, as portrayed by Peter Falk in the television show from the 70s, is absolutely protected by copyright law. And so if the character in the podcast or the whatever is – is substantially similar to the Columbo character from uh, the TV show, then yeah, it's going to be infringement of copyright. There are a couple of exceptions. One might be parody. If what you're doing is making fun of the original Columbo TV show or the, or the character or the actor or the, the style of the show, maybe those kinds of things, you might fall into parody category. And parody is a sort of a shortcut to a finding that your use of the of the character is fair use. Uh, it's a little bit complicated and you really do need to be careful, but that's one exception. Um, and, and the other legal issue that comes up here isn't a copyright issue, but possibly a trademark issue because you're sort of conveying some kind of a, um, an endorsement or some relationship with the producers of that TV show. So yes, Diane, I'm afraid there are a few little problems there. Um, this is the kind of thing where you really do need to get a specific advice about the specific facts of your case. And speaking to a lawyer like me is the, is the way to accomplish that. So give me a call. I'd be happy to, uh, uh, to chat that. And by the way, you can always find me at, uh, uh, gordonfiremark.com. All of my stuff is there or go to thepodcastlawyer.com and that's direct to, uh, how to set up a meeting with me and those kinds of things. Uh, in the group, in the, in the podcaster support group, we had a question about what kind of insurance should podcasters carry? Well, I'll tell you, Julia, that's going to depend on 
what you're doing. If you have guests coming to your studio, you probably need to carry some general liability insurance to cover that accident that happens where something falls on the studio in the studio and lands on the guest and hurts them or they trip or sprain an ankle or who knows what. You might need general liability insurance. If you have employees working for you uh, in the studio or whatever, you might need to carry worker compensation insurance. If you have independent contractors who are coming to your location, same thing, that general liability covers. If you have people who are driving cars around uh, on your behalf as part of their job, then you might need to carry special vehicular, uh, you know, car insurance basically for them for their work time, whether they're using their own cars or something you provide for them. And most importantly, if you're going to be doing anything that, you know, publishing stuff, you, you're going to need some media errors and omissions insurance. This is hard because, well, it's expensive. It's hard to come by. And uh, yeah, it can be a real challenge to, to get that insurance. But media errors and omissions – don't fall into the trap of trusting your broker who says, well, you've got advertising injury coverage. That's not the same thing. Media errors and omissions insurance is designed to cover you for claims of copyright and trademark infringement, libel and slander and violations of the right of privacy and right of publicity and those kinds of things. If you forget to do a clearance, if you forget to get a release, those kinds of things. Uh, and, and it can be very good. So if you're in a, and you're really in the business of podcasting, I would say this is insurance. You definitely want to want to investigate and and find. I am I'm on a search for a good broker or carrier who can do this kind of stuff and it's very hard to find. Uh, there is a company Hiscox that runs some kind of a policy that I hear good things about, but I haven't really checked it out. Next question, Ian, how much copyright music should you use before anyone gets upset? And Ian was throwing me a he was trying to trap me or trick me or, or what you're throwing me a softball, whatever you want to say. My answer to the question is this one's easy. There is zero. You can use 0% of a copyrighted song without permission unless there's a legal defense and fair use here in the U S is the most common viable defense, but it only applies in a very, very small fraction of situations. Now, um, and, and it's a little complicated. I've done an episodes on fair use and I think our next episode will also be a fair use episode. So tune into the next episode, but, um, you know, this is a situation songwriters and recording artists, they make their living by creating these things. And if you use those things without their permission, that's copyright infringement. You are essentially stealing from them. They make this stuff for the purpose of selling and licensing permission and rights to use it and so on and so forth. Yes, it's wonderful to listen to. And when you listen to the radio, the radio station has paid for the right to broadcast that song. When you listen to it on Spotify, Spotify is paying for that song, all of those kinds of things. So when you use it in your media production, you need to pay for it as well. And the problem is it's very challenging to track down who owns it and ask the right questions and get the permission and being able to afford to pay what they demand can be a factor, which is why we don't see a lot of music being used in podcast episodes nowadays. There is a move afoot to try to simplify this. And there are a number of great services that offer very good quality music that isn't you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones or Taylor Swift or Beyonce, and you can get really nice sounding piece of music to, to accent or supplement or be underscore for your, for your project and lots of good tools out there developing. So Ian, then after I wrote my response, he wrote, I completely agree, but not everyone realizes it. I am in the UK, same applies, but many flout it. And that's exactly the case. Now, one area where you say, 
if what you're doing is criticism or commentary or, or really educational, and I, by that I mean sort of classroom education, um, and you're teaching about the music or you're instructing or, or telling the audience about specific aspects and you're using small portions that may land in the fair use territory. And we'll talk about that another time, but most of the time, that's why you see criticism videos or, or instructional videos being allowed to, to survive on, on the services. Um, Helen asks a question that keeps coming up for me directly, uh, excuse me, uh, coming up for me, not directly, luckily is how should you set things up with a podcasting partner so if things go to the, the bad place with them, you are not shut out of your own show and uh, you can divide the assets appropriately. Well, again, feels like another softball. Thank you, Helen, for this question. The answer is a podcast prenup. This is what I refer to when I refer to uh, a form of an agreement between the creators and owners of a show that outlines the nature of their relationship and ownership and shares of you know, revenues and all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I talk about this quite a lot on the show. Sometimes this is an LLC operating agreement between the parties. Sometimes it's a co-production agreement or a collaboration agreement. Sometimes it's a agreement where the host is, or the owner of the show is, is hiring the host. Uh, and sometimes it's the agreement between the host of a show who owns it and the guest who is coming on for an episode or two or something like that. So all of these things can be considered a podcast prenup. But the most common is that agreement between two you know, co-owners who are not yet ready to form an LLC or something. It's what I call a co-production or a joint venture agreement. And if you go over to podcastprenup.com, you can find uh, my little guide. It's a, it's a planning guide for uh, the podcast prenup. If you're thinking about getting into one, it'll tell you some of the questions you want to ask and conversation starters and things like that. And uh, from there, you can go on and, and get your prenup written and create it. Um, Mark is asking about errors and omissions, sir, in errors and omissions insurance. And that is definitely a thing, Mark. Call up an insurance broker, mention media errors and omissions, and don't let up until they give you answers. Uh, or a referral to someone who can give you answers. Most brokers won't know the first thing about this, so be careful, be thoughtful, and in all other, you know, if all else fails, reach out to me and let me know what you're hearing, what they're what they're offering you, and maybe I can help you figure out if it's going to do the job. Uh, Colfax wants to know about copyright and licensing issues for using songs or songs as a topic for the show, where, for example, you talk about the band, you want to play a piece of their well-known song, what royalties would have to be paid to their PRO? Should you contact the publisher first for copyright permission? This opens up a lot of common misconceptions. The PRO is not who you want to deal with on this. PRO stands for Performing Rights Organization. That is the ASCAP or BMI if you're here in the U.S. or CSAC or G, uh, GMR, Global Media Rights, um, or in other countries, PRS in England. Uh, so can in, in Canada and so on. These are companies that represent the owners of the songwriter comp, the copyrights in, in the publishing of the, of the work for certain kinds of performance rights. The thing about it is a podcast goes beyond just that small performing right that is given by those organizations because you're synchronizing it with other content. So it's, you need what's called a sync license and you're using the recording and you're streaming it digitally as well as making it available for a download. So you've actually got two copyrights, the recording and the composition and multiple forms of use for each of them. So you really need to deal directly with 
the music publishing company and the record label. And that's why I said it's, it's hard and time consuming and often costly to uh, do this kind of stuff. I'm going to take a quick moment now to uh, tell you a little bit about a latest creation I have. It's an on-demand training that will skyrocket your journey in podcasting up to new heights. Imagine having the key to unlock the secrets of all this podcast law and business affairs stuff where I spill the beans on the biggest mistakes and the easiest solutions. Whether you are a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, I have a training that is going to be your golden ticket to success. So you can expect to find him inside this training, uncovering the common legal traps and how to expertly navigate them. You can arm yourself with game-changing strategies to safeguard your podcast, uh, to streamline your processes for smoother operations and big growth, and learn how to give uh, expand your reach and, and do things legally without breaking the bank. So if you're ready to elevate your podcasting game, come on over to register for this training. It's on demand, free. All you've got to do is go over to gordonfiremark.com slash podcaster training. That's gordonfiremark.com slash podcaster training. And we'll take your podcast to the next level together. I hope you'll check that out and, and let me know what you think. Also, it's a, it's a worthwhile online on-demand webinar kind of thing. So check it out. Um, uh, other questions. Let's see. I've got a question in the live chat right now. Thank you to we keep uh, to can we keep it real podcast network. Recently got a cease and desist for being critical about a high school football coach in Rhode Island. This is a situation that you need to take pretty seriously. If you're getting a cease and desist letter from a lawyer, not just from the person, I would say take it very very seriously. And you want to consult with a lawyer. You want to evaluate the content of the episode in question. Being critical of a person who is in a position of authority or power or whatever and, and a, you know, a high school coach is not entirely a private citizen. If you're criticizing their something about them that affects their ability to perform their job or to be around the kids and those kinds of things, um, and it's truthful criticism, you genuinely hold these opinions, you're probably okay. But there are a, a bunch of important rules that you need to follow in, in dealing with this just to minimize your risk. I've actually had a couple of these kinds of questions come up just recently. And in some states, there is a law that requires them to ask you for a retraction. And you then have a short amount of time, usually seven days or something like that, to issue the retraction. And that by doing that, you limit the amount of money damages they might be able to collect from you if you uh, if they sue you. So you got to check this kind of stuff out. Talk to a lawyer in your jurisdiction who is familiar with these kinds of claims. It's going to be privacy and defamation um, for this situation and uh, maybe a First Amendment lawyer. If you're in Rhode Island, I don't know how many of those lawyers you're going to find. So if you need somebody, reach out to me. I may be able to give you a referral as well. And I'd be delighted to do that. And I'm sorry that you got that situation. Um, I'm happy to help out if I can. So reach out to me privately, DM me or whatever, and I'll, I'll tell you how you can get a hold of me. Um, another question. Let's see. Dane is, and I already I did Dane's question. Stefan asks, uh, in a documentary investigation in an, into an unsolved crime dating from more than 40 years, discovered police documents, interrogation records that are in possession of, of a source and come from the police with whom we've shared the documents that they cannot be disseminated. You discovered that they can't be disseminated and you finally released the elements. Uh, not sure what the question here is, Stefan. Um, I think it's, if you're here in the U S there, I can't imagine how they would be able to prevent you 
from disclosing documents that you came about lawfully. Um, there may be good reasons not to that would relate to privacy or injuring people's reputations or those kinds of things. But uh, I can't think of a reason why they'd be able to stop you. Um, again, reach out to me if you like, and we'll, we'll figure out what's next. Uh, Emily, nice to see you, Emily. Hi. Uh, when should podcasters look to trademark their title and brand name? A few clients in the uh, who have a URL but haven't registered a trademark, and then there are starting to be a lot of copycat podcast titles out there. The short answer to this one is as soon as you can, you should register the trademark if your title is distinctive. Now, if you've got a very generic title like Basket Weaving with John, well, it's probably not going to be registrable. It may still make sense to consult with a lawyer or, or look into registering the, the title on what's called the supplemental podcast, uh, excuse me, supplemental trademark registry. And that way you put the world on notice that you're using this thing and that you intend to acquire the distinctiveness that is required for trademark protection. But if it isn't distinctive, that's okay. Um, but if it is distinctive, you should definitely register the title so that you can stop others who come along and copycat. Uh, that's very important. And uh, my answer to the question is do it even before you start the podcast, if you can, and then you can convert it. Uh, once you have launched, you can usually easily convert it to a, a use-based application and get it to go through pretty quickly. Do this a lot for people. If you'd like to find out more about trademarking, head on over to uh, firemark.com slash trademarks. That's firemark.com slash trademarks. I'm giving out a lot of links today. Um, what else? A uh, question about how do you monetize your podcast? How much time you got? <laughs> Chris, we could talk for weeks on that subject. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to do it today. So I'll be getting into that in, in future episode. Um, Roy asks an interesting and, and uh, challenging question. If I use my podcast instead of, say, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, to assemble a violent mob in Washington, D.C. to storm the Capitol while Congress is in session, can I still be prosecuted? I'm asking for a friend. Well, look, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, is very strong. It's very powerful. It doesn't matter whether you're standing on a stage or sending a message via Twitter or writing an essay or publishing it in the New York Times or issuing it as a podcast or on television or YouTube or whatever. You have amendment protections that guarantee you the right of free speech. But like most rights, that right of free speech does not cover it is not expansive enough that anything goes just like I have a right to swing my fist around that right of freedom, that freedom to swing my fist ends just the moment before my fist strikes you in the face, right? I'm not allowed to hurt you by swinging my fist and there can be consequences. Same is true in the case of what we call incitement where there is an imminent threat and there's some you know, likelihood that it will become true, your speech that is stirring up and encouraging or asking folks to do that thing, if there really is a good chance that they're going to do it, that can be incitement. Now, podcasting is usually at a distance. We have some, yes, we have a relationship with our listeners. We don't necessarily know right now that what I say into the microphone is going to happen, something's going to happen tomorrow. But if I do say it and it looks like everybody's going to follow through and I've given a date in the future, I can see scenarios where a prosecution for incitement or, or uh, insurrection could, could exist. And uh, we're going to find out more about the extent and scope of these laws 
as we watch the trials coming up uh, sometime in the next year or ten or decade, depending on who wins some of these motions uh, with Mr. Trump and and uh, uh, his his uh, co-defendants. So, yes, I think you could theoretically still be prosecuted. And frankly, if you don't have the millions of dollars for the lawyers, just don't do this kind of thing. Can we use names of people and businesses without permission? Asks Joanna. <coughs> Joanna, the answer is yes, most of the time, unless what you're doing is is for commercial purposes. That is, if you're using their name to suggest that your product is coming from them or their product is coming from you or that you are somehow affiliated or or endorsed or you're endorsing them, those kinds of things, there can be some restrict. Talk about people. Again, truthful non-private stuff you're allowed to share. Likewise about a business. I'm allowed to say, hey, um, I, I was drinking this can of Coke the other day and I suddenly lost my taste for it. Nobody is going to be able to accuse me of anything, any wrongdoing with relation to mentioning Diet Coke or even showing it on screen. Uh, just in in the course of uh, my discussion, it is uh, it is perfectly legitimate free speech again to 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 do that as long as I'm not using it for commercial purposes, invading privacy or telling false information about it. Um, let's see. YouTube is diving headfirst into podcasts and YouTube has this huge catalog of well-known music. Does that mean that someone could use, for example, eye of the tiger as their intro and not have to pay a royalty? And the short answer to that is yes, but only on YouTube or the platforms where that song has been licensed. It does not mean you can upload that file to your Libsyn or blueberry or, or, Buzzsprout or Podbean or Captivate or you name a podcast hosting company uh, because now you're copying it onto places that haven't licensed it. So you do need to think through this. I generally don't recommend using those materials for um, uh, for podcasts that are going to be distributed beyond the platform on which it is originally licensed. Uh, Ian asks this question, and this is going to be our last one for today, but I'll do this again soon. Uh, Ian says, who owns the copyright if no legal agreement is in place? The instigator, those featured, the editor, or the platform? And my initial answer to that is, well, the author of a work is the copyright owner. Usually, the author is the person who presses the record or the publish button in some cases. Now, he then responded. He said, well, that could be a producer or who isn't even heard on the show, or maybe it's a, an editor, an editing producer or someone like that. And, and that's true. The, the issue is this, <clears throat> unless there's something in writing, that person who pushes the button is the owner. So if you are the host of the show and you want to own what people who are working for you create on your behalf, you need to either be their employer. That is, they hire, you hire them as employees and you pay them with payroll and you do the deductions and you provide insurance and other benefits and all the things that having employees means, in which case your the work your employees create is what we call a work made for hire. And you own it. The other way is to have a written contract with each of those people stating in so many words that the results and proceeds of their labors under this agreement shall be deemed works made for hire. This is the law in the United States. I know that, Ian, I think you're in another country. In England, we don't have, you don't have exactly the same terminology, but the same principle will apply that the uh, the material belongs to the uh, the employer or the person who has hired the contractor. And it's just a good idea in those instances to use the belt and suspenders approach 
of having what we call a backup assignment. So if for some reason this material is not deemed a work made for hire, then I hereby, the worker hereby assigns the copyright in and to all such material to you, the employer, uh, forever to have and to hold and use as, as you see fit without any further obligation. Um, Ian also talked about compilations of like, if it's a podcast compilation of clips, well, it's not all compilations are original enough to be entitled to uh, registration. If it's just a timeline based kind of a, a compilation, it might not be original, but if it's, you know, if it is, he also says, well, you know, how, what if it's substantially changed, then does the editor who's doing that work control it? And I just had to point out that substantially changed isn't really a relevant inquiry in the copyright law space. If it's a copy, it's a copy. It's original. It's original. There is no threshold amount of change that can render something in, that's infringing as non-infringing. Uh, transformativeness is a component in the fair use analysis. Tune in for another episode on that one. And uh, we'll talk about transformation or transformativeness. But generally speaking, no, there's no amount of change that is enough to stop you from being sued for copyright infringement. So, um, thank you all for the people who submitted their questions. I'm really grateful for that. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this again every few months, I think. Uh, and for right now though, that's going to be a wrap for this episode of the, uh, legit podcast pro I'm Gordon Firemark, the podcast lawyer, and I will be back next, um, next Thursday at 4 PM, uh, for, uh, for this show, which I do live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And then I output it also on the podcast platform. I use Captivate.fm for this show. And so it'll be on your podcatcher of choice. If you are not already subscribed, I hope you'll do so. And until next time, keep on getting your message out. Keep on making an impact. Do it legally. Do it the legit way. And uh, keep on podcasting. <laughs>